Today, I'm so excited to have Casey Clark on the Ignite Visibility Podcast. Casey, how you doing today? I'm good, John. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I know our listeners are so excited to learn more about you. Tell us a little bit about your background and your role and how you got to where you are today. Well, I've always been an entrepreneur. So from, you know, literally running paper routes to, you know, having a lawn mowing business in high school, ended up running, you know, 100 plus franchise units, uh, you know, out of school, you know, 600 plus employees before selling that business. Pretty much, I've actually never really been the W-2 employee. So I, as I went through that experience, I thought, what is a business that I could build or start that would really empower entrepreneurs and do what I love, which is in the franchising with supporting, you know, entrepreneurs and helping them grow and scale the business. And that's ultimately how Cultivate came to be. And you're just named uh, Entrepreneur of the Year. Congratulations on that. It is a very, very cool award. Talk to us a little bit about Cultivate Advisors and what you're doing there, how you're helping people and some of the common things you run into. Yeah, I think of Cultivate as um, we are teaching business owners how to become CEOs. So we're working with small to medium-sized businesses. A lot of times, they, maybe they don't have the business acumen. Maybe they're on the treadmill. They're stuck. Or maybe they're a really fast-growing company. Uh, we come in and help put the systems and processes in place, develop the skills of the owner and the leadership team around a lot of the core competencies that create scale and growth. So we're not industry experts. We're actually industry agnostic. But we come in and become their business partner on retainer without equity to help them supercharge and grow and scale the organization. And so what are some of those things that holds a business back from really scaling? You know, I, I know in our own journey, there's been so many different things. It's, you know, not knowing how to do accounting to uh, not knowing how to market good enough. What are some of the common things that you run into that are kind of a theme? Well, you hit on one of them. I mean, I think most entrepreneurs who want to grow and scale a company have zero clear with, clue what's going on with cash. Um, the actual cash flow part of the business, I'm not even talking about the P&L how to work, manage, utilize, and understand the use of cash is definitely a massive barrier we see. I would say the leadership and recruiting side, we call that the capacity side of the business. Uh, we continually find that people are struggling. Either, either it's just a, uh, their inability to lead or more importantly, the ability to pass the torch and create leaders within their organization or how to recruit and really find that talent. The other side of it is on the sales and marketing. We find most people don't, and you know all about this, John, but they don't have the ability to create predictability and actually understand how to have a sustainable engine. And until you have that, you, you're not going to sustain growth. You're, you're not going to get the business to where you want to get it to. And it's most likely going to be dependent on you as the owner. And for that reason, worth quite a bit less money when you go to exit. And you, do you believe uh, every business problem is actually a leadership problem? I've heard some people say that before. Uh, I don't, but could I rephrase? Yeah. I, I actually believe every problem is a every problem in business is a data and math problem is actually what I believe because even culture is usually a math problem of we're not investing enough in to get the culture we want or the development right so you can always tie back to data and numbers and it will show you the path to take to ultimately create scale. So let's talk about different stages of business a little bit, because I feel like that changes a lot. What, what are you seeing more as the issues that early stage companies have opposed to later stage companies? Yeah, the way I, the way I break down these stages, think of like your solopreneur, then you move to the owner operator stage, right? After you're, that's when people are still kind of all reporting to you, right? Then you start to track into like more of the CEO where you start to have some C-suites 
or, or executive leaders. And then you ultimately want to graduate to that hands-off business, right? Like that's, that's how I think of the business. The difference really, you know, it's very easy when you think about the org chart shifts, you think about that solopreneur, usually they're doing, they're not measuring and having an ROI on their time. Like why do people get out of that stage so quick? It's their ability to actually take action and do the right things. Most solopreneurs that I meet with, they're completely on the wrong topics, the wrong things in their calendar. They have no structure until they hustle out of it. They're going to be stuck. Number two, I think when you get, when I see people get to the owner operator stage, a lot of times it's they're learning how to give up control. They're, and a lot, a lot of folks don't <laughs> properly. They get stuck. They get sucked back down that operator role or they get sucked back down in the sales role. And they don't think anybody can sell and produce what they're able to do. That's a big caveat we see. I would say the next stage that I see, and again, there's a lot of them, but these are just the most common ones. The next one I see is when they move that CEO uh, space where they're starting to bring in leaders and they've gotten that place. It usually becomes a breakdown of very, very simple widgets and very, very simple processes and systems. People think growth, scale, our business should be complex. We want to do more with less. The reality is I actually want you to do less with less. And the more that we can figure out how to do that, the faster you're going to actually evolve into that type of business. I think that's really well said and definitely indicative of my experience. You know, one of the things I think people might find interesting is, you know, say, say I'm buying a, a franchise for the first time or I'm acquiring another business for the first time and, and I'm going to be that main owner. How should I be spending my time? Like what, what would you say? This is like a good description of how you spend your time as an owner of say a three to $5 million franchise. What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're if you're walking in, and again, depending on the the type of business you bought and your skill set, this answer might be very different. So I'm going to you know share some generalized. I have to put that disclaimer out, but you know, generally, I would actually start by blocking off the two or three hours a week that I'm going to put on planning for the following week. That would actually be the very first thing I do. I find most owners don't slow down to prioritize and just plan in general, and then they wonder why they end up you know doing some of the most, you know, lowest priorities there could be. And it's usually, a, it's usually a degree of what they're most comfortable with or what they like the most. So my next thing I would tell them is whatever you like the least, go do that actually, because that's probably most likely what will move the business the fastest. And in most situations, it's usually sales and partnerships, the ability to drive additional revenue and create growth with resource, you know, in allows you to deploy resources out I always hear people say, I can't find good talent. Well, I'll tell you what, go sell another deal, get the money and go pay one of the best, you know, <laughs> staffers to go find you somebody. Uh, so you don't have to do it. Um, so usually it's just a problem of additional cash, uh, which is then off, often signed, you know, solved by, by revenue itself. Again, every situation is a little different. I, I agree with you quite a bit, and uh, I, you know, I, I generally feel that the leader, uh, if they are going to have a role and be uh, working within the business, which, by the way, I think is totally fine, they should be working uh, in somewhat of a sales and, and marketing uh, capacity, setting up new partnerships. They've got this unique ability to get in the room uh, with a lot of people, and in the businesses that you see. Where do they struggle more? Is it is it on getting the new clients, and is it on you know bringing in the new business, or is it on serving the business and growing the operation? What does that balance kind of look like? Oh, I, I actually, if you would have asked me this eight years ago before I started Cultivate, I would have told you 
I would have told you a very different answer. I would have told you it's 80 to 90% of people on sales and marketing. We've grown. We've worked with thousands of businesses and we continue to help them grow and scale in our portfolio. I now confidently would tell you it's 50-50 is, is really what it is. I would instead shift the paradigm to say owners, you know, like people talk about the left and right side of the brain. Think of it the same way for the business. You've got the growth side. You've got the capacity side. What I find is they're either an operator who started a business or they're a marketer or a promoter or a salesman or sales gal, right, who started the business. That's generally what we see. And they have a hard time crossing over what we'll call the dark side, whichever one that is for you. Um, and so I would say it's actually not one or the other anymore because it truly. So I think what's more important about this question, John, is that people really, truly look at themselves and go, am I ever going to get out of my own way? Or do I actually need to bring in a business partner who can show me how to run sales and marketing? Or do I, or do I need to bring in a business partner who will show me how to think operationally and build that side of my business? And that's actually how you're going you're gonna to jump out as fast as absolutely possible. With my business partner and I, you know, we complement each other really well. Um, he's incredibly organized, really great at the legal side, the HR side. Um, I'm really good on the service side and the marketing side. And, and we both have some crossover and are, are pretty darn good with clients. But there's no way I would ever be here without him. And uh, I'm sure he'd feel the same way. So I, I love partnerships. You know, uh, Business is a journey and it, it can go on for a, a pretty long time. And it's nice to have somebody in it with you. So I totally respect uh, your comments there. You know, I think also some of the comments that you made um, align with the current market. You know, what are you seeing in the current market? I feel like it's harder nowadays to get uh, really great talent potentially th than it was before. Do you feel the same way? I mean, of course, there's there's some economic impact that's that, that, that that's had, right? I mean, I will actually say we're seeing a little bit of the opposite with some of our clients right now on the sales side, right? There's just been so many layoffs. I think tech companies were grabbing and gobbling up so much talent with all these perks of you're going to make all this money when we go to IPO. IPOs have come to a standstill, <laughs> right? now, And now you see tech companies laying off. So if you want to get an engineer or you want to get a salesperson uh, or account manager, I would argue actually you're not looking very hard if you want to find one of those three because they're everywhere um, in my experience. Now, if you want to find a really good customer service person, if you want to find a really good person, uh, you know, marketing as a marketing agent, I actually think that's pretty challenging, John. Like uh, we're seeing that same thing across other departments. I also say leaders, right? I think I think what's really affected small to medium sized businesses is that the inflation that's kicked up. Um, a lot of companies have cut staff and increased pay to retain their talent. Uh, well, small business owners and medium sized business owners who are trying to grow or scale through this period, what you'll find, my experience so far, is that you'll find well. You can't all of a sudden just raise your prices and, and you know connect that inflation and then lower that down into your staff overnight. It's going to take a lot longer because there's not as much cash or there's not as much success in the organization right at this time. And so I think for that reason, you're seeing kind of this, this issue. But I, would, I don't know. You're seeing, I think on the white collar side, we are seeing way more people become a little staff wise, employees wise, feeling comfortable sticking around now. So I don't think you're seeing this great you know, um, you know, you know, uh, fall off as you were. So hopefully we're going to see that change. I, I imagine the next six to nine months, you're going to feel that open back up. 
I agree that there's more talent now than there was a year ago. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about, and a part of it's because of our industry, I think, is AI. Are you hearing a lot of people talking about AI? Is that a buzzword in your circle? I mean, anybody who doesn't say AI is a buzzword may not be on the planet right now, <laughs> but uh, or at least in the U.S., I should say. But I, I am hearing it. I, I will say most most people are using it for the purpose of efficiency. You know, creating. I don't think anybody's feeling comfortable that it's a um, that it's a pull the business. You know, pull staff away or, or or do anything because of the AI. I think it's so much more around the fear. I think there's a lot of fear mongers out there that are kind of driving this. Here's what's coming. You know, uh, I've got an outsourced finance. You know, company called Breakwater. They're a part of our Cultivate brands. They actually were a client of ours. We ended up acquiring them. They're phenomenal, um, you know, out of Wilmington, Delaware. You know, they're they're looking at bringing AI, you know, into their outsourced bookkeeping and AR and AP strategies, you know, for all the clients that they work with. It's not going to remove talent. All it's going to do is increase productivity. It's going to allow the employees to produce more, which makes the business have a chance to pay their employees more, right? Everybody's going to win out of this. Yes, they may slow down hiring a little bit. Um, but they're always going to need the person to double check it, deliver it. I, I think we're decades away, personally. I think we are decades away. Somebody's going to come back and show this this film for me saying that, you know, if I'm wrong, and that's fine. But I think we are decades away from truly having uh, a tool where we know that we know it's accurate. I don't know how you prove accuracy right now with AI. I, I think there's a lot of really good insights there uh, from from your part, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes because business owners have a lot of options now. They may not know about all the options, but they have a lot of options, whether it's uh, domestic talent, uh, talent within their own location, talent across the United States, talent across the globe, AI doing some of their work for them. There's a lot of ways to play the game of business, and there's also... Um, again, a, a lot of different phases to these different stages in business. So one of the things we talked about a little bit was your propeller methodology. And I absolutely love methodologies. I know our, our listeners are going to enjoy hearing about it as well. Uh, our methodologies here, you know, it's generally an answer to a problem in business. But I want to hear, how can people use the propeller methodology? What is it? And how can it take a business from just starting to where it wants to be? Yeah, appreciate that. So I want everybody to visualize that's listening in here, the engine of a propeller, right? We're getting on a plane. We've got a propeller to be able to take off. On that propeller, the engine is financials, the heart of your business, right? It's cash. All the blades of the propeller all come back to the engine. If you don't have the right amount of cash, if you don't have the right pricing units, you don't have the right margin you know, structure, it, this thing is not going to go well, Okay. And you're going to create the blades off of it. Think on, you know, I talked about growth and capacity. Think of a few of the blades, you know, being a sales, being marketing. That's the growth side. Think about the leadership and recruiting. That's the capacity side. And then I want you to encase that entire propeller by productivity. Okay. Now, I don't just mean hours worked. I actually mean, think of a guardrails. Think of technology enablement. Think of systems that allow it to all stay within the framework. And that flows through all the blades, right? You need processes and systems in all those different areas. Here's the analogy. You're, on, you're in a business. Start just ranking yourself one to 10. Just self-assess. Just write it down. Financials, one through 10. How good am I at tracking cash? How good am I at my pricing? One through 10. Okay, now let me go to sales and marketing. One through 10. Where am I really at on the skill and what's my business performing at? 
After you go around and you measure all six areas, which we consider the universal skills of scaling, right, in terms of an, of an organization, as you think about that, now draw that propeller. How small is that engine? How, wonk, how wonky are the blades, right? Maybe marketing's an eight out of 10, sales is a three out of 10, recruiting is a four out of 10. Look at that propeller and ask yourself, would you get in the plane and take flight to your desired destination? Or are you afraid you're going to crash and burn with turbulence because of how it's built? And that, my friend, is probably why you are struggling or feeling this way. If you're listening in going, why is my business so hard to run? Something is off, most likely, with that propeller. And it's not about building to a 10 in every aspect. Sometimes you've actually overinvested in certain areas and you have to pull it back because you need there to be symmetrical aspects to the propeller so you can have a nice smooth ride. You just don't go as far of a destination until you keep building it up at a more rapid pace. That's really well said. I absolutely love that. And uh, as a, being a business owner who's run, you know, this company for for ten years and looking at financials uh, every single week and talking to a lot of other people who uh, also run businesses, you know, there's always um, some propeller that's uh, can be improved, right? And so I love that methodology, Casey, about identifying which ones uh, are the most important. And generally, you know, when I'm evaluating uh, a business, a lot a lot of times it comes into uh, either not enough business coming in on the front end or uh, a capacity issue uh, and or, you know, something in between that's that's an inhibitor. Um, talk to us a little bit about uh, the growth side, the capacity side, and then also just some of those most common propellers that break. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I mean, I think the growth and capacity is pretty clear. I mean, at the end of the day, right, like just you got to think through what's important to you. And I, I love to segue actually for just a second, John, if you're open and talk a little bit about the difference between growth and scale, because I think, you know, capacity, another word I like to talk a lot about on the capacity side is scale, right? One of the things that people confuse is that like, I just want to grow. I want to scale. Like, well, those, those two terms are completely different definitions, Right. Growth means I want more revenue. I want a KPI in my business to move. I, I want more. Pro I want something to grow. Right. I, I'm from here. I need it to go to here. It's very measurable. It's very trackable. Scale is almost more of a mindset and a structure. It is about how can I become more autonomous? How can I have how can I feel like I'm running the business versus the business running me? Right. This is more about how do I get the business to be less owner dependent? This is how do I work less in the business to make my life easier and give me a better freedom so I'm more balanced in other parts of my life? That is the definition of scale. If you have fast growth and you have good scale, your enterprise value becomes worth more as an organization. And ultimately, you're chasing some metrics like profitability and revenue but in reality, you should be building the business in pursuit of whatever that exit will look like if that's now or 20 years from now. It doesn't matter. Always be in pursuit of that. So I always just tell people, slow down and make, make sure you're really clear. Are you living in capacity? Or are you living in growth? Know what your strategy is and be clear of what your goals are. What level of growth do you want to get to? Or do you just want scale? Because you don't have to grow to create scale. And often that's what people want. Because growth is very expensive, right? People don't understand the cost of growth. 
They just think, oh, it's all daisies over there. Yeah, yeah. Once you get past the next overhead that you just took on, it will be cool. But if you don't get there, you're going to regret trying to grow and you just made your life 10 to 15 times harder. So I just think that's, I think that's really important concept if you want to really break between growth and scale. I think the last part of your question there, John, was you just wanted me to dig into like, well, what are those you know, areas of the propeller blades that really break the most? Well, this one won't surprise you. Leadership. Leadership is definitely the one I see break the most. I think it's the one that's always moving and it's the hardest to grab. The second hardest one is your world, John. It's marketing. It really comes down to marketing is changing and evolving constantly. I mean, I remember, I remember having businesses that were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on Facebook advertising. And in 2016, the algorithm, the biggest algorithm change of Facebook, in my opinion, took place. And you saw companies that were just crushing on ads, crushing on their posts, their organic reach, and it just lights out. And I saw multiple businesses go out of business from that algorithm change uh, that had become dependent on that ad set. So you have got to have trusted partners on the marketing side, and you've got to have somebody looking at your development structure on the leadership side constantly because it's always evolving. So. When I think about scale now versus when I thought about scale a couple years ago, it's changed a, a little bit for me. And I think part of that was not really understanding the blueprint of what a bigger scaled organization looks like. And I think it's a it's it's a little bit night and day. Um, you know, talk to us about the difference in scale. You know, you've had companies with hundreds and hundreds of employees. What what does that difference look like, even on the executive side, the leadership side? What does that team look like that leaders build around themselves versus a, a smaller company? How does that evolve? Well, I'll tell you one thing that I've seen. I've experienced this multiple times, and I I hear this often from our clients that go through this transformation is this, and this will really connect for people who have been through this before. John, I'm curious if it's going to connect for you. There is a point when you, when you start to lead your business in which you realize your team is your customer, not the actual market customer. That, I see you shaking your head, so I know, and I know some people are only listening in, but that, that probably just resonated for you because that is usually a moment that is very pivotal to realize you are going to think about your team and scale completely different the moment that becomes clear. You probably have predictability in your sales process. You probably have predictability in your marketing that has given you confidence that they will take care operationally and everything of the customer. And you are now, your customer is now, how many more widgets of people can I grow and scale to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again in a consistent way. And that will totally change your paradigm from I must control this, I must lead this, which is more on the, the smaller side of the business, versus the larger that you get. What I have personally found and what I keep seeing is that you start to move to this place of going, they can do it 75% as good as me. Now is time to make the transition. And I will have to coach up the last 15 to 20%. And it's going to take time. It's an investment of time into that person. Well, down here, you don't have time. You need it now. You can't, you, you're not going to survive next month if you don't make that a reality. And so I don't know if that, had, if that hits some of those points you're looking for, John, but I think that's, that's where I really see is that mindset shift. And yes, I think owners, the sooner they can jump that they realize their team is the client, 
is the faster they're going to actually propel themselves into larger companies much quicker. If you're thinking about your customer and uh, not about your team, then you, you probably need to hire somebody, right? And one of the things I've I've learned is that you know there's if I'm doing anything, I probably uh, should try to recruit somebody who's better than me to do that one thing. And what I've found is <clears throat> there's frankly somebody better than me at at everything uh, in the world as we've gotten bigger. And we one of our keys to success is just having an amazing team here. But I just feel like when uh, you're smaller business, and for sure myself, uh, you know, you think you got to do it all, you can do it all, and I'm sure you see people uh, get caught in that trap pretty often. Always, always, and I, I would even go off to say one last thing for you, John. Is like people get stuck. Right. And this even the larger businesses, they'll, you know, they'll get to 10, 20, 30, 50 million dollars. And they don't realize that one of the roots they're having is them or their leadership team. It becomes a time where you start to only focus on goals in the organization and, and connecting them back to the vision. And you allow your people to dictate the path. Most people get it wrong. They think they have to give direction on the path. And then they don't slow down and talk enough about the goal and the why and the alignment piece. And then they get caught because they feel like if I don't tell them what to do. They won't do anything. Right. Like, oh, you know, that's when you start to hear owners start or, or executive leaders start to ex- complain. Just flip it. Just flip it in your mind and go stop talking about how to do anything and only talk about why we're doing what we're doing and just seek if there's even alignment and buy in to do it in the first place. And then ask them how they're going to go do it and stop telling them how you'll be shocked how fast the organization will go. So when somebody um, that you're consulting with is looking to recruit some of their top executives uh, for the first time, what types of tips do you give them to make sure that it has the right cultural fit, to make sure that there's alignment, to make sure that nobody is getting in each other's way? What, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, recruiting, recruiting executives is really tough, right? Because depending on the, where the business is at, you either need to hire unbelievable generalists who want to wear a lot of hats. And that can be an issue. If you're, if you're early on, do not hire a specialist. That's not, that's not the desire. On the other side, right, when you get a little larger, you know, do not hire a generalist. <laughs> you want to start to hire those specialists. So I think that acknowledgement first is really important. From there, I guess the other thing that really comes to my mind is that oftentimes when we, lead, when we go out to find leaders, we don't actually stretch a large enough net, Okay. We don't cast a large enough net to realize that a really good leader is probably more like one in 6,000, one in 10,000 people, right? Versus a, like a, a decent employee on the baseline might be one in 50, one in 60 in terms of think of number of applicants, right? Number of people that need to come in. Now I'm, I'm, I'm referencing not hiring from within because maybe that's not an opportunity and you're, you're pulling somebody in from the outside in this example. But when you, what I think about a lot in big, like very practical tip. If you are not on a video interviewing software to allow people to record short one minute videos, three or four, if you are looking for an executive, so you can see how well they galvanize their answers, you can just see the intangibles. All these companies now have little apps, right? You can, you can just sort through two, three, one minute videos, do that with hundreds and hundreds of people. You'll be shocked the level of talent you bring in. Don't look at the resume. Ask the two or three most important questions that for your organization on values, culture, and ability. Values, culture, and ability. If you have those three mustered up properly, and you can just get a little tell of how they, you know, respond and 
their conciseness and their ability, you can tell a lot about that type of person you're getting ready to meet for a more formal interview process. You'll save a ton of time and you'll find a way more talent. Uh, Casey, I love that hack. Ignite visibility listeners. I know you're going to like that one as well. So, you know, Casey, we're in the middle of 2023 here. We've got Q3, we've got Q4 coming up and some people are already thinking about 2024. What types of challenges and opportunities are you advising your clients on through the rest of this year and going into next year? What things are going to lie ahead and what, what other points would you want to give our listeners today for just running a great business? Oh, I feel like I could talk about this for days. I would, first off, you made one comment there on the way into the question. You said, hey, some people are starting to talk, think about 2024. If you are not starting to think about 2024, you're actually massively behind as a business owner. So if you are the business owner, your job right now is actually to start to cast what 2024 is going to look like and then start to bring it to your team in September, October, and then allow them to put their planning together and then review it and set it in motion, you know, November to early December. So I just, you know, too many people put themselves in just crisis mode around the holidays trying to get into 2024. They have a lag start and that's how Q1, you know, goes sideways. So let's just acknowledge that first. If I had to leave with any parting words, I think it would be this, as you think through Q3 and Q4, there's a lot of talk about the, you know, the economic uncertainty and uh, holding cash back and, and um, you know, being in a position of, of conservativeness versus optimism of growth and, and scale. I've heard a lot of people start to say Q3 and Q4 is going to really start to ramp back up. It's really going to shift. Throw all of it out as noise and run the data. Look at what the business is telling you that's happening. And when you identify the one or two areas or KPIs that are not quite hitting your expectation, prioritize it, get involved, and inspire your team to go solve it one initiative at a time. Right now, business owners are receiving more marketing emails, more vendor opportunities, more LinkedIn requests, more noise than they have ever heard. I think the average owner has got to be receiving 25 to 30 sales emails a day, minimum, no matter the size of the business. You're not missing out. Remove the FOMO. You can't have everything good in your business. Pick one thing and make sure you change it from now to the end of December. And I bet you'll feel like a million bucks. And before you know it, you'll be worth millions of bucks. That's my advice. Absolutely love it. And I couldn't agree more. Casey, if people want to learn more about you, they want to follow you online, where are some of the best places they can do that? Yeah, definitely connect with me on LinkedIn personally. So Casey Clark, you can find me on LinkedIn. There's only thousands and thousands of thousands of those <laughs> on LinkedIn. Uh, so make sure it says CEO of Cultivate Advisors. And if you want to learn more about Cultivate Advisors, head over to cultivateadvisors.com. We'll actually allow you to take a free assessment where we'll match you with an advisor, let you sit down for a couple hours for free. We'll break down your business and we'll actually hand you a tailored roadmap you could go implement if you want on how to grow and scale to whatever vision you're in pursuit of. Casey, thanks so much for being on today, everybody. Casey Clark, Cultivate Advisors. Go ahead and check them out. Casey, we appreciate you. We'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.